Well, welcome to Missio Day. First, I want to say that we're going to tonight talk about anxiety and worry. I thought it would be appropriate for us to talk about that before we eat ice cream. Because what doesn't make you feel better when you're anxious and worrying but a big bowl of ice cream? Amen? Second thing I want to say is I want to welcome all of you here who are visiting. I know there are several of you visiting. Thank you so much for coming. I'm glad that you're here. I hope that you enjoy um, the evening. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask me or, or ask anyone who looks like they may know something, okay? Um, but, but if you don't get the answer you want, just come ask me. I'll try to give it to you. Also, I want you to know that we sit at tables because periodically we, um, we have conversations during the message. So what we like to do here is, is build community. Um, I grew up in the church. I've worked in the church most of my life. And one of the things that I was most saddened about is that I didn't have an intimate community. People didn't really know me. It was easy for me to pretend when I came to church. And so we, we're trying to break that barrier and stop wearing masks and be for real. I'm not asking you to spill your guts tonight, but we might have some conversations and, and, and during the message, and, uh, and then I'll ask for you guys to discuss it at your table. And so just, just want to give you a heads up about that so it doesn't surprise you when it happens. If you're not the kind of person who likes to talk, then don't. I have found there's always one person at every table who will talk the whole time anyway, so don't worry about it. And if that's you, jump on in, jump on in. So tonight we're going to talk about worry. Raise your hand if you ever worry. Raise your hand if you're ever anxious about things. I am all the time, believe it or not. We all worry. And it's kind of hard not to worry, isn't it? We, we live in a time and an age in which I think worrying is something you can't not do. I mean, you've seen the headlines, right? There's um, unemployment rates are skyrocketing. There's nuclear weapons being made in other countries. Terrorists keep attacking. Global warming apparently is going to kill us. Housing markets, interest rates, health care, the cost of college tuition for students who, when they graduate, will never get a job anyway. Cancer, school shootings, rock and roll or color wars. I can't take it anymore. You know what I'm saying? We do live in an age of anxiety. In fact, one author in the New York Times said that anxiety is now the most common mental illness in America. Can you believe that? It's the most common mental illness. It says in that article, anxiety is now the most common mental illness in America, affecting an estimated 40 million adults, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. By the way, that's 18% of the U.S. population. 18% of Americans, adult Americans, suffer from anxiety disorder. The article goes on to say this, and that figure doesn't even count the far greater swath who are garden variety warriors. You know, people who fret when a child is late, or who worry when they hear a siren headed towards home, or who are sure that a phone call in the middle of the night must mean someone is dead. The tenuousness of modern life can make anyone feel overwrought. And in societal moments like the, ones we're in, like the one we're in, thousands losing jobs and homes, our futures threatened by everything from diminishing retirement funds to global warming, it often feels as if ours is the age of anxiety. So this New York Times columnist says we live in the age of anxiety. And I tend to think that might very well be true. Real quickly, before we dive into um, this message, let's discuss at our tables, just real quickly, about one minute. What is it that you most find yourself anxious or worrying about? Real quickly, just discuss that amongst yourself. What is it that you most get bent out of shape over? Well, I can tell by all your conversation that you all have lots to worry about, don't you? Lots of anxieties. 
I wonder if anything that we see today in Scripture will help with some of those anxieties. Like I said, I think we do live in the age of anxiety. And if you've been keen on this as I have, when you go to social media networks like Twitter or Facebook, don't you see a lot of these little like poster quotes? You know, don't worry. You know, cheer up. Turn that frown upside down. You know what I mean? With the kitty cat on it and things like that. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, I just want to share some of those quotes with you now to get this conversation started. Uh, here's a good one. Worry gives a small thing a big shadow. This is one I like a lot. Worrying is using your imagination to create something you don't want. <laughs> I like that. Get it? You're supposed to use your imagination to create things you want, not things you don't want. And I do that a lot. Corey ten Boom said, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once, today and tomorrow. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. I like that quote. Here's another good one. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. That was taken from a man named Jesus. That's actually the very last line of a sermon he preached on anxiety and worry. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, what can I say in the 21st century that would be relevant for folks who are living in the age of anxiety? And I thought, I think Jesus said it well. Maybe I should just let Jesus say it. Jesus preached actually an entire famous sermon on a mountaintop. And while he was preaching that sermon, he did a good chunk on anxiety and worry. And I thought tonight what we would do is just listen to Jesus tell that sermon and then we'll unpack some of the things he says. We'll, we'll examine some of the things. And I'm going to tell you right from the beginning what we're going to see, what I think we'll see, or what I'm going to tell you that I see. <laughs> when Jesus preaches his sermon, we're going to see four things. He's going to tell us four things. One of them is why we shouldn't worry, and the other is what we should do instead of worrying. So, for instance, Jesus will say, don't worry because you're more valuable and important than birds. Okay? Don't worry because you're more valuable than birds. And then secondly, don't worry because worrying is useless and fruitless. It gets you nowhere. And then he's going to tell us some things we should do instead of worrying. Don't worry. Instead, seek first his kingdom, Jesus will say. And then fourthly, he'll say, don't worry. Instead, have some faith. So let's look at, listen to Jesus' sermon as he preached it from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there ha I happen to have found some, some video footage of Jesus preaching this sermon. Someone must have had an iPhone or something in their pocket, and they videoed Jesus preaching this sermon. So I thought we would just listen to this video. Here's Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry. 
saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Well, the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Pretty good sermon, isn't it? Very relevant for even us today. Well, the first point that I think Jesus makes is perhaps one of his most important points because he spends quite a bit of time on it. He takes five whole verses to make this point that you shouldn't worry because you're more important than birds. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. I want you to know three times in these seven or eight verses, Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. Three times he says that. Therefore, do not be anxious. What will you eat or what will you drink, nor about your body, what you will put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I, I want to say something real quick. I want you to know that Jesus is not some Rastafarian hippie saying, Dude, don't worry. Just look at the birds, man. Look at the Look at the flowers, man. God, God takes care of them, you know. God, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't worry, right, about a thing. That's not what Jesus is saying. He, Jesus is essentially not saying every little thing is going to be all right, okay? Can I get you to hear that? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's actually making something, he's actually making up a very strong argument, the argument is called an a fortiori argument. This is a Latin term for debate and arguing. And so an a fortiori, I don't even know if I'm saying it right because I'm not Italian like that Jesus was in that movie, but uh, an a fortiori argument. It means this, an argument from a yet stronger reason. So if I made an a fortiori argument, I would say, if this is true, then obviously this is true. If this man is dead, I say that, but this man's dead, then it goes without saying he's not breathing. Okay? Does that make sense? If you flip it the other way around, he's not breathing, that doesn't go without saying that he's dead, right? He could just be sleeping. <laughs> I don't know. So if he's dead, that's the first argument, he is not breathing. And that's what Jesus says. I want you to hear this. Jesus says, if God cares for the birds, and if God cares for the flowers, and he does, and that's clearly obvious, because he says, just look at them, man. <laughs> then... It goes without saying that he cares for you. If God will take care of birds who fly around and then die, and flowers who are here today, and I don't know about you, but mine are already dead, right? Then how much more, that's what Jesus says, will God take care of you? Now, I know what you're thinking. If I'm smart, and I know you're smart, you're saying, yeah, but birds don't have a mortgage. Birds don't have kids that they got to put through school. Birds don't have a job, and birds don't have a car that keeps breaking down so they can't get to the job and can't put their kids to school and pay their mortgage. And I want to encourage you, you're smart. You're right. Birds don't have a mortgage. <laughs> you're good, you. <laughs> birds don't have a mortgage, but don't miss the point. Okay, you made a good point, but don't miss the main point. The main point is this, how much more? That's the point Jesus is making. 
If God cares for birds and they don't have a mortgage, how much more will he care for you who has a mortgage? You who has children that you need to get to school and raise. You who has a job that you need to do because God put you here for work. You who has a car that sometimes breaks down. He knows. Doesn't he know? But let's, let's just be honest. Sometimes we think, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, God takes care of the birds and the flowers and the trees and the bees. But you know what? He doesn't really care about all my little things. He had no idea my car was going to break down. He has no idea that my interest rates were going to jack up that high. He has no idea. He doesn't really care. He cares about the birds, but he's going to make me figure it out on my own. How many of you think that sometimes? Raise your hand. I do. I do. God loves the birds, I know, but for me, he's punishing me because I don't need this house, right? It's not a necessity. I don't need this car. (laughs) I could walk. If I was a bird, I'd just fly to work, (laughs) you know? That'd be nice. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, God loves the birds. I want you to hear um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a famous preacher. He says, do you not believe that he loves you with an everlasting love? Do you not know that he spared not his only begotten son, but delivered him up for you? And do you think that after having done so much for you, that he would withhold from you anything that is necessary for your well-being? You must not think so. Brother, sister, it would be unkind ungenerous, ungrateful to think so. Therefore, be not anxious or of doubtful mind concerning temporal things. Amen? Someone say amen. Amen. Jesus says, don't worry because you're more important to God than birds. And that's true. The second thing that Jesus says is, don't worry because it's useless. It's fruitless. Worrying gets you nowhere. In fact, the way Jesus says it is pretty profound. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? How can you worry hard enough to add an hour to your life? In fact, some people take the original Greek and translate it like this. And who of you, by worrying and being anxious, can add one unit of measure to his stature or to the span of his life? So the Greek could go either way. It could be, which of you could worry an extra inch onto your height? I wish I could be taller. Or an extra hour to your life. You can't. So Jesus is essentially saying, worrying is useless and fruitless. It gets you nowhere. A famous American proverb says this, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And here's another thing about worrying. If I can be honest with you, maybe you can be honest with me. How many times do we worry about things that never even actually come to pass? Are you with me? Like you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just fretting and worrying about this thing and it doesn't happen. I tend to wake up every morning at 3.33 a.m. with something to worry about. It's true. I wrote this sermon a few days ago and it happened to me again last night. And I'm like, I wish I could take a picture of my phone right now so I can prove to everyone. I wake up at 3.33 almost every morning fretting about something. I was too tired to find my phone and take a picture of it. And besides that, you just thought, you would have just said, oh, you set your phone to 333 and took it. You wouldn't believe me anyway. But honestly, 333, I wake up, start thinking about things, laying awake, <gasps> can't sleep. Why? About things that will never come to pass. Most, more than likely, we create these monsters in our head. Mark Twain said it like this. I'm an old man, and I've known a great many troubles, but most of them have never happened. <laughs> I once heard a preacher give a great illustration about worry. He said it's like a fog. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a fog, driving in a big fog. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Sometimes you get in a fog and you can't see an inch in front of you. 
And if you know anything about fogs, you're supposed to slow down and take it easy. And you're blind. You can't see. You're, you're worried. Your worry is like a fog. You're worried and you can't see straight and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're slowing down and everything's you're just, what can I do? But did you know that that fog could be seven blocks wide and a hundred feet deep, a thick fog that you can't see through, hundred feet deep, seven blocks wide, but if you could condense that fog into water, it would only fill up one cup. It's true, scientifically. Sometimes worry is like that, isn't it? We take a glass of water and we turn it into a hundred foot deep fog that we can't even see through. So Jesus says, don't worry, it's useless. You can't add an hour to your life. In fact, it's also been scientifically proven that worry would subtract hours from your life. Did you know that? Anxiety and worry actually has been proven to create over 100 different kinds of diseases. It's true. Charles Mayo, you might have heard of him from the Mayo Clinic, he said this, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I've never known a man who died from overwork, but many who died from doubt. So can I just wrap this point up? Don't worry, it's useless. It gets you nowhere. Well, the year was 1988. I was barely in high school. And this song made the number one Billboard chart for two weeks in a row. It's an a cappella song. You know what that is, don't you? Song with no, no, no instruments. All the instruments are made with the mouth. By the way, it was the first time ever that an a cappella song made it to the number one. You know the name of the song, don't you? Don't worry, be happy. I, I, I'm giving you a gift tonight. This song's going to be stuck in your head all night. I want you to hear some of the lyrics to the song. Um, Bobby McFarland said this. He said, in every life, we have some trouble. And when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and stole your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. And I want to make a very important point right now. If this is true for you, can I just suggest you might should worry. Okay? If someone came in and stole your bed, I think it's time to file a report, right? Change the locks and get a bed, you know? If your rent is so backed up that he says he's going to take you to court, you might should worry, you know? You might think about how you're going to get out of that situation, if you're going to run away, or maybe get a job, you know? What's my point? My point is Jesus said three times, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. But I want you to know he's not snapping his fingers and whistling an a cappella tune saying, turn that frown upside down. Jesus is not condoning a passive laid-back, lackadaisical, irresponsible uh, view of life. He's not saying, forget about it. <laughs> Just go with the flow, man. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, he says something different. He actually says, maybe you should do something. He actually gives us something to do. Don't worry, but do something. And, and I think this is a real key problem for most of us because we don't really understand what he's talking about here. Let me, let me show you the verse. Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious... But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus says, look, if you're worrying and you're stressed, I got something for you to do. 
Seek the kingdom of God. I've got a job for you to do. You have a job. And by the way, my job has benefits and perks. You do your job, and you're going to get a company car, company cell phone. You'll get, a, you'll get um, some benefits. You'll get a package. You'll get you know, retirement. Do the job that I've set you here to do, and all these other things will be added unto you also. So Jesus says, do a job. And what's his job? His job is, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean exactly? It's very profound. It's very important, by the way. What that means is that we are supposed to seek the reign of God in our culture. That means we want to seek God's righteousness. We want to seek God's reign. We want to seek God's um, authority in our culture. We all live in a culture. We, we are in a culture right now on Highway K next to Pheasant Point. That's our culture. And we want to seek God's reign over that community, don't we? We want to seek God's righteousness in our schools. We want to seek God's authority in our lives. If you seek for those things, then you are seeking first for the kingdom of God. By the way, that's a very profound message that I could preach on for quite a while. It's specifically what it means to be on mission or to be missional or to be a part of the missio day, which is what we call ourselves here. To be a part of God's mission, the mission of God, means to bring in the reign and the authority and the righteousness and the mercy and the gospel of God into our culture. So Jesus says, look, seek that first. Just do that. All these other things will be added to you. Here's a profound question. Isn't it true, would you agree with me, that probably most of our anxiety, most of our worry, comes because we're not seeking God's kingdom, but we're seeking our own personal kingdoms? Would you agree with me on that? Someone say, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Someone said something on Facebook, and you know they were talking about you, right? You read it. You're up all night long, right? Fretting worrying, anxious. Whose kingdom are you looking for there? Yours. Here's another profound question. How many nights do you stay up worrying about God's kingdom? Oh, man, I really need it. Oh, man, God's reign is, you know. How many nights? Probably none. See, I think Jesus is saying, if you're going to be anxious about anything, be anxious about my kingdom, and I'll take care of the rest for you. Let's do this together. I'll take care of that for you because I love you, and I know what you need. I give, I give it to the birds. I'll give it to you, but I've got a job for you. Seek his kingdom. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that if our heart was on seeking the righteousness of God in our culture, if we were on mission for that, then a lot of these other worries about whether or not the Pinterest party would be perfect enough or not would just subside. Don't you agree? I need to tell you this, the Greek word that Jesus uses for seek first, when he says seek first the kingdom of God, it's the, it's the word zateo in Greek. And ironically, it's a word that's frequently used to describe a bird hunter, <laughs> an ancient bird hunter, not a modern bird hunter. Modern bird hunters hunt for sport, right? And we use what's called a shotgun. If you can't hit a bird with a shotgun, I don't, you know what I mean? You've got problems. But an ancient... <laughs> Even I hit a duck. I wasn't even looking. I had my head down. When I hit that, I forgot the pump. <laughs> An ancient bird hunter didn't have a shotgun. He had a bow and arrow. And so the word zateo, or seek first, describes a hunter who is locked and loaded. His eyes are peeled. He's desperately looking for this bird to land on the branch because it's a small sucker. And he's got a small window of opportunity when that bird lands to let go. He can't just be sitting there eating a Snickers and then, oh, there's a bird. You know what I mean? And then shoot him. He's got to be ready for that opening of the window and then get him. 
Jesus is saying, in the same way, I want you to seek the kingdom of God. There's a small window. You've got to have your eyes peeled. You've got to be ready. You've got to be looking for, this is, there's a lot of Bible verses I could quote here, right? You've got to be looking for every opportunity. You've got to be ready in and out of season. You've got to seek first the kingdom of God. And if you're ready, when it happens, oh, I am bringing God's righteousness into my culture. That's what we should do. But we are more concerned about so many other things, are we not? We really are. So many other things. And I think that's what led um, St. Augustine to say this. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We worry, we're anxious because we're worried and anxious about all kinds of things that aren't in him. When we, when, when we find our rest, it'll be in God, in Christ. Fascinatingly, in this book, it's called the Conf uh, Confessions, um, Augustine goes on to say, we all have things, and we all have good things, and we all want good things. And that's not bad. Good things are good. But they become bad when they become one, our one thing, you know? I have this good thing, but it becomes my, my one thing. And when your good things become your one things, then you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. You're seeking the one thing. One of my favorite persons in the whole world said this. Everyone says they want just one thing. But what they really mean is they want just one thing more. And he goes on in that song to say, my hope is to make Jesus my one thing, my one thing. And Rich Mullins lived a life like that. He did. Okay, so moving on. We shouldn't worry because God cares more for us than birds and flowers. We shouldn't worry because it's useless like a rocking chair. We shouldn't worry. Instead, we should seek first the kingdom of God. And then the last thing Jesus teaches us is we shouldn't worry because it's an issue of faith, essentially. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 6. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, comma, O you of little faith? So Jesus makes worry and anxiousness an issue of faith. He's saying, you don't have faith. Now, I could preach here like a lot of preachers preach, and then you'll go home beating yourself up every time you worry. Because if you're with me, I'm going to say, but Jesus, sometimes you just can't not worry, right? Are you, uh, can someone say, uh-huh? You sometimes you just can't not worry. You're at work, and you hear a rumor that 200 people just got laid off. How do you not worry about whether or not your name's on that list? You know what I'm saying? Your kid keeps bringing home Fs, and now the principal called. How do you not worry? Sometimes you feel like you can't not worry. In fact, Jesus even says this. I think, I think this is theologically correct. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, have anxious, will be anxious for itself. Every day has enough trouble. So Jesus is saying, look, you're going to have trouble, and every day is going to have enough trouble for you to worry about on that one day. So you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have worry. How do we know where to draw the line? <laughs> when are we not supposed to because it's an issue of faith, and when are we supposed to because we're just, we just are? C.S. Lewis said this, Some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith. You hear a lot of sermons like that. Honestly, I did this week. I listened to several. You better try harder, do better, be gooder, have more faith, stop worrying, turn that friend upside down. God's got it. Yeah, it's not always that easy, is it? Not. But C.S. Lewis goes on to say, But those are afflictions, not sins. 
And like all afflictions, they are, if we can take them, our share in the passion of Christ. And so Jesus said, in this world you have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world, and I will be with you. And so we will have trouble, and Jesus is with us, and gosh darn it, you're not going to be able to not worry about those troubles. Am I right? The trick is we have to figure out where to draw the line. And here's where I want to make some clarity, some, some distinction. There's a distinction or a difference between a concern and a worry. You know what I'm saying? A concern is okay. The difference is a concern is about something that you can fix. Something that you can, you know, you've got a problem and you can do something about it, so you're concerned. And there's nothing wrong with that. You better sit tight, pray about it, write out a pro and con list, try to figure it out, weigh it out, talk to some people about it, maybe stay up late that night, maybe do some research, because there's a problem that you need to fix and you can fix it. You need to figure out how to fix it. That's part of your life. That's the thing that God has given you to overcome. That's not worry. That's not a sin. But if you can't do anything about it, and you refuse to let it go, that's called worry, and that's a lack of faith. That's you saying, God, don't got this. That's you saying, I need to be in control here. God's not good enough to be in control here. Does that make sense? So your kids are messing up at school. You can do something about that. Maybe read some more books about parenting. Maybe figure out what he needs. Maybe take him to the doctor and see if he needs glasses. You know, there are different things you can do. But if you're worried about the rain is going to come and spoil your party, nothing you can do. Believe me, I know. I've yelled at God. I've done a dance. <laughs> you know, trying to get the rain to go away. For those of you who know me well, every event I plan gets rained on. <laughs> what can you do? Nothing. If you don't let it go, then that's called worry, and that is a sin, and that is a lack of faith. You get that message, 200 people are being laid off at my job. Am I on that list? Well, the list's already been made. Not much you can do about it. <laughs> You can worry, but maybe you can give it to God and say, you know what? Maybe God's got a plan. Maybe. <laughs> maybe God's got a better job. Maybe God's got a worse job, but that's going to be better for me. <laughs> maybe God wants me to be a missionary to Africa. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? You never know, but you have to let it go. Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama, said it like this. If a problem is fixable, if a situation is such that you can do something about it, then there's no need to worry. <laughs> And if it's not fixable, then there's also no help in worrying. <laughs> there's no benefit in worrying whatsoever. So don't worry. I like the way Timothy Keller said it. He said, worry is not believing God will get it right. And bitterness is believing God got it wrong. So there's a distinction. If there's something you can do about it, you should be concerned. You should study. You should pray. But if you can't do anything about it, you really just got to let it go and trust that God will get it right in the end. So there's our four points, I believe, that we see in Jesus' sermon. Don't worry because God loves you more than birds. Don't worry because it's like a rocking chair. It gets you nowhere. Don't worry. Instead, seek first his kingdom. And don't worry. Instead, have faith. God loves you. He'll take care of you. Does it always happen the way you want it? No. I want to conclude by one, one last quote. Uh, this is from John Piper. He says, There have been kings who find it very effective to keep their subjects in constant anxiety. You can think back in the medieval time period where kings ruled the world. And so kings found it effective to keep their subjects in anxiety. If the people are anxious about their life and worry about where their next meal is coming from, then perhaps they will be more willing to do the king's bidding in order to get the food that comes from the king's storehouse. So anxiety keeps them in their place, and fear makes their monarchy firm. Do you understand the quote? Can you see that picture? We've seen, it, we've seen it before, right? 
We still see it today. In other parts of the world, the monarchy or the rulers will keep their people in anxiety, keep holding things from them so that they'll be anxious, and then they'll be dependent upon that authority or that king. I want you to see this, though. Jesus does the exact opposite. Did you notice it? King Jesus doesn't say, I want you to be anxious. I want you to be stressed. I want you to be worried because then you'll depend on me more. Jesus actually says, I want you not to worry. Don't be anxious because my Father loves you. I don't need to put you in a place to control you. I'm setting you free and asking you to worship me freely. Isn't that interesting? Here's how Piper said it. But one of the greatest things about Jesus is that he does not want his people to be anxious. He does not secure his kingdom by cultivating anxiety. On the contrary, the aim of Jesus is to free us from anxiety. He doesn't need to keep us anxious in order to establish his power and superiority. Instead, he exalts his power and superiority by working to take away your anxiety. That's good news. We take communion every week here at Missio Day because I believe that Jesus says do it as often as you gather. And I also believe that when we do it, it forces us to put everything that was just said through the cup and through the bread. Meaning, Jesus says, I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to eat the bread and drink the cup to remember what I did for you. And what does that do when we talk about anxiety? It says, he did this for me. I can give him my fears. I can give him my anxieties. I can give him my worries. And so the way we normally do this is the band will come forward and sing a few songs. And during those songs, you can just come up however you feel led when you feel led, if you feel led. Just take a piece of bread and break it off and then dip it into that cup. My suggestion is to flip it up like this so that the, the, the juice flows into the bread rather than down your elbow. And then what I would encourage you to do is to lay your concerns and your anxieties and your worries just right here as you come up. Take that bread and break it and say, Father, you know what I'm stressed about. You know I'm worrying about this. You know I've been looking for a job for 18 months. Please, I'm giving it to you. Take it off of me. Amen? Let's pray together.